0: Welcome to the fourth episode of the Good Leadership Podcast, where we will explore what good leadership looks like today and share insights that we as executive team coaches are experiencing in our daily practice. I'm Paul Botts, CEO and founder of Good Leadership, and here's my friend, Kevin.
1: And I'm Kevin. I have the honor to serve as the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership, as well as be the president of Interaction Dynamics Group. We're the Mid-Atlantic Partner for Good Leadership. Good Leadership. So I'm really excited to be diving into our topic about epoxy theory with you, Paul. Yeah, well, we'll get there. But before that, how, just tell me, how was your week? Well, it's been interesting this week, actually, uh, working with some executives to help them see that next step or next gear in their, their performance and their role. Um, you know, a few executives I'm talking with right now are facing that challenge of uh, bringing new teams along and challenging their teams to be uh, more effective in delivering on their strategy. Uh, helping their teams to take more ownership for the strategy and it's allowing them to stretch themselves a little bit and find that next level of leadership to connect more with people, connect more with customers, and take on some more responsibilities they didn't think were going to be part of their executive role. So it's kind of an interesting time with executives right now.
0: How about for you? You know what? I'll agree with that statement. Um, this is one of those weeks that's kind of reinforcing our mantra, and that is that we don't believe in the notion of work-life balance.
1: But every executive I talk to says they want work-life balance. So what do you mean you don't believe in work-life balance?
0: Well, you know, it, it's not that I don't believe you need to have a life outside of work. It's just that I, I believe in this idea of blending and trying to find satisfaction mm-hmm. in all things in your life. And I right now, I just came off of a vacation. I am working before the sun comes up and after the sun goes down, and we're remodeling our office. Believe it or not, you know, we're remodeling the good leadership offices, and there's an amazing shortage of wallpaper hangers. interesting. So guess what? In my free time, I'm hanging wallpaper at the office because I learned how to do that while I was putting myself through college. Yep, this is one of those weeks where I really don't believe in the notion of work-life balance. That's all I can say. Well, that's pretty funny, Paul, but today
1: we're actually supposed to be talking about epoxy theory, and I don't think we're supposed to use epoxy to hang wallpaper. Uh, So let's transition over to our topic of epoxy theory and get moving in our conversation today.
0: Yeah, okay. So I realize this is not a scientific podcast, but epoxy theory really is a relatively scientific concept. So when you hear me say, you know, epoxy, what does that mean to you, Kevin? You already kind of referred to it, but what does epoxy mean to you?
1: Well, to me, it's the glue, right? So it's a two-part glue uh, that you have to bring together to make a really strong compound and a really strong adhesive.
0: So in, in terms of team coaching, um, epoxy theory works like this. The one element of the two is the relational part of epoxy, and that's the, developing the sense that people care about each other, both personally and professionally. And then the other element is called the structural integrity of a team. And that's really how the team is Mm -hmm. set up to succeed, how they build plans and solve difficult problems together. So, you know, we think the strongest teamwork happens when there's a 50-50 mix of the two elements, and that's how it forms a strong bond.
1: Well, I like the concept of that kind of scientific approach of thinking about teams, but how did you arrive at that connection of epoxy and teamwork and team momentum?
0: Yeah. So this is making me feel a little bit old. I was recalling back to a conference I went to in 2008. And it was sponsored by um, several CEOs who were trying to predict what the impact of mobile phones was going to do um, on the workplace culture and how that was going to change the employee employer hmm. relationship. And interesting, they started talking about blurring the lines of work-life balance. And that's sort of where I got that idea sure. of, I don't believe in it. And as cell phones became really popular, people's work lives invaded their home lives. If you had one and your boss knew your number, they would call you at home. Yeah. Long before the home life Definitely. invaded the work life, right? And so that kind of changed yeah. the, um, the balance of power in the employer-employee mm-hmm. relationship. And we've now seen that again in the pandemic with this work from home. I mean, that's kind of accelerated this. Ah, interesting. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it almost seems like now the home life is sometimes invading the work life side of that. So one of the things I've actually enjoyed in the pandemic is getting to see people in their home environment. So you get to meet their pets or meet their kids or meet their family. But you think about that prior to the pandemic, if you work from home, it was important you kept all those things separate. Like it was all about the work side. And so it's interesting this personal side is playing into that as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, reminding me, I literally had a Zoom call earlier this week with a CEO client and my cat, Ralphie, he wedged the door open, jumped up on the bed behind me. And I CEO was in one of those moods and he's like, Hey, wait a second. Who's that in the background? And I said, Oh, that's my cat. <laughs> he said, no, no, I want to meet Ralphie. So I picked Ralphie up and put him in front of the zoom and he was talking to my cat. And I thought, Oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> you know, there's, I guess that, I guess you could call that work-life balance. Couldn't you? That's pretty funny. So I guess the point of this is that with the work life and home life lines being blurred so much, a big piece of accountability today is really understanding the whole person, what's going on in all parts of their lives. And, you know, the best leaders are helping people succeed on every part of the scorecard of their life, not just their work scorecard.
1: Yeah. So as you think about that, um, let's just let's explore a little bit further. Uh, How do you see this epoxy theory playing into coaching and leadership aspects of what we do every day.
0: Okay, so um, every leader has a blind spot about how they Mm. lead their teams. It comes from their preferences and their previous experience. And I have one story in mind here about a CEO of a professional services firm, the C-level executives on the team. They kind of revolted because they thought their time was being wasted in their monthly uh, two-hour executive team meetings.
1: I can appreciate that. I know... um... I can kind of let meetings run on. I like that relational aspect. I kind of hear you talking about there. But I also do find executives get very edgy if they feel their time is being spent versus invested. So that kind of makes sense to me as you say that.
0: Yeah. So here's an exceptionally relational leader with just charisma all day long, knows everyone in the building. And over time, subtly, she started filling the agenda with opportunities for high potentials to grow by reporting to the executive team. She didn't even realize that the team was just getting bored to death and and pretty frustrated. So I asked them to do a simple exercise, write down on a piece of paper, one being total waste of my time, 10 being mm-hmm. best meeting ever. I asked people, what do you think? How good a use of time is this for you? They said three to her out loud. Wow. That was a shock. I bet. And ultimately she realized that her... Social needs were overriding the needs for other people to be involved and engaged, and they weren't actually all that happy with their results. Mm. So luckily, a group volunteered to kind of change their entire meeting structure, and they went really structural on it instead of relational, and it turned out great.
1: So that 1 to 10 scale paper analysis is kind of interesting, Paul. Often we would use the team momentum survey. So did you do that here, and what did you find?
0: Well, interestingly enough, we did it. But about, it was 90 days ago that we did it, and they all talked about the fact that they needed more structure. And actually, the reason I was invited to the meeting was to observe whether or not they were getting any better. And what I saw was people even okay. more frustrated because they had already decided they needed more structure, but they just weren't doing it.
1: Interesting. So you are talking about the team needing that structure, but you said earlier that the leader was very relational. And so how is she coping with this and working through this process? This has to feel rather odd to her, I would think.
0: Well, I think it's fair to say her her ego was bruised a little bit and she didn't really quite get it until they explained it to her in in vivid detail. But over time, once they moved to another way of doing it, she actually got to sit back and relax and participate in her own meeting in a way that before she was sitting up on the front of her chair encouraging these people with these presentations, putting way too much energy into the encouragement Mm -hmm. And ultimately, she's an incredibly smart person. And I think she really relearned the joy of intellectual sparring with her partners that she really uh, had a lot of respect and admiration for. Well,
1: and I admire that in her taking that self-awareness and making that adaptation. That's difficult sometimes as a leader. We like what we're doing. We get connected to it. And even when we're challenged, we want to defend it and fight back. So I think uh, very much uh, kudos to her for being willing to take that and, and make some of those changes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, I agree. The other thing I'm thinking about as you shared this story is you said it was a challenge in the meeting because high potentials were coming to share these stories and share these ideas. So if it became more structural, and I think you said that the executive team leaders are doing more of that connection with their high potentials and sharing that information, how are the high potentials thinking about this and dealing with it? Do they feel alienated from the executive team or more connected to the executive team?
0: Well, you know, the bell curve applies in every situation. There were a few people who had great presence, great presentation skills, and they really thought going to present to the executive team was fun. But everybody else was relieved. Okay, You know, it wasn't really a stated thing in their high potential development program to present to the executive team until they had gone through this whole thing and realized, well, there are certain things that they need to do, but they need to present to executives, not to the executive team. Okay. And not only that, you know, in the whole concept of making this team more accountable, it was really a powerful thing when they said, you know what, everyone on this team reports to us. Everyone who's presenting to Mm -hmm. us reports to one of us. Why Mm -hmm. can't we learn how to prep our subject into what we call a power prep, a short, tight box of information that is relevant to everybody around the table? Mm -hmm. And when they did that, it made it so much easier for them to keep, stay on time to articulate what was expected, why the subjects were on the table. And even though it felt very structured to this CEO, she really came to enjoy. Someone else running the meeting, the information prepared in bite-sized chunks, and ultimately they performed at a much, much higher level.
1: I really like what you said there, Paul, about presenting to executives versus presenting to to the executive team.
0: Yes. And I think most organizations
1: I work with they view that as the same thing. So I like the distinction there. Mm-hmm. I think that's a much po- more powerful way to engage with high potentials and help them see that growth over time. So really interesting connection. I appreciate that.
0: The one good example I can think of was the, this organization gives a lot of recommendations on how healthcare organizations can improve quality and safety. And okay. the reality is, is there's really only about 25% of the people sitting around the table that have a keen eye into that subject. Mm, So they were able to make much stronger recommendations, much more clearly when the people below the executive team only presented to that small group. And that was a huge win. Mm -hmm.
1: I like that because I'm working with a very technical organization right now and the same thing applies. Only a small number of the executive team members are really detailed in the technology in which they work. The others are bringing that true executive leadership presence, and that's been a struggle in the organization. So this is some insight I can take back to them and share about how they connect their high potentials and their executive team together more effectively. Okay, so let's talk about the success habits we learned in this story. And as a reminder, a success habit is something leaders do over and over again because it really works. So what were some key success habits we can take away from this experience?
0: So from the relational lens... It really was a good thing that they learned that the high potentials actually need face time and air time with executives, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the entire executive team. So they revised their high potential development program and they made sure that people actually got real time with executives. In some cases, it was one-on-one time, which is way better than presenting, and then also they really realized the value of one another's time because mm-hmm. it really was not feeling very good when their time was wasted.
1: So that sounds like it could re- really work effectively, not only for executives, but also for high potential development. So I like that connection.
0: So then if you look through the structural lens, they literally established a chief of staff for the executive team meetings and eventually that job rotated. They've landed on what their top 3 campus miss priorities are. And they did a call for subjects one week in advance of each of the monthly meetings. And the chief of staff would dive in and try to figure out where it related and then did a prioritization exercise with the CEO. And then they assigned a specific amount of time. They made sure they sent ahead of time a little information about each subject. And then they had a timekeeper Hmm. who would say five minutes left, two minutes left, And then the other thing I think that worked out really well is that at the end of the meeting, the chief of staff had two minutes to summarize what they talked about. They summarized all the assignments that people agreed to take, and then that became the document that they started the next meeting with. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so very structural outcomes from a relational crisis, we'll call it. Excellent. So let me
1: summarize those, Paul. On the relational success habit, The idea here is to create a plan to allow high potentials to build those connections and relationships with executives, where it's a real meaningful connection and opportunity to grow as a leader. And the structural success habit I heard you talk about was creating clarity around how we operate the meeting. So being clear on the topics we discuss, making sure we stay on time, that we have conversations on the most important priorities, and then at the end, we wrap that up with clarity about what we're going to do moving forward.
0: Yep, and for them, it worked when they assigned a specific chief of staff to help manage that executive team meeting. I think there's one more thing that deserves to be said here, and we tuned in to the structural problem by tapping into people's feelings. Hmm. How does this meeting feel? Yeah. And they said, it doesn't feel good at all. (laughs) And so I think that's a really important part of how epoxy theory works. It takes an equal amount of the relationships and the structure, working together so the team is really, really strong.
1: Well, I think what's so powerful in that, Paul, is you shared the CEO was very relational and she gained by adding more structure. And the executives, you said, were more structural and they gained by honoring their feelings. So I like that connection in the
0: epoxy theory. So that leads us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and learning about leading and coaching teams.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we always want to hear from you, whether it's your thoughts about today's episode or what you would like to hear in future episodes. So please feel free to reach out to us at info at That's I-N-F-O at goodleadership.com.
0: Yes, we really do hope you reach out and tell us what you think. And remember, good leadership is a team sport. We hope this podcast helps you build a team that makes your dreams come true.